I love stories. So I decided to start a podcast where I could talk to people about their favorite stories. If you're like me and you love a good book, this podcast is for you. Although I will warn you, there are spoilers. But honestly, can you ever really spoil a good book? Famous author uh, once wrote, like myself and other famous authors, if we weren't here, they would still be written. Yeah. Yeah. Stories are meant to be told. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So today I'm here with Chris. We're talking about The Neuromancer by, who's the author there? William Gibson. So tell me why you picked this book to talk about. Um, well, in the studio right now, you can kind of see we have the most beat up um, paperback in the existence of the world. It, the pages are falling out of it. I've read it so much. Yeah, it's in like three sections. Yeah. It, well, the book is written that way too, but um, yeah. It's, Do the breaks line up with where the sections split? Unfortunately, no, and oh, it bothers me. that would have been me. cool. Um, but uh, the reason why I like this novel, there, there are books that I like reading more, but I think this is the one I've read the most. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's basically because it's the first time I had to actually go back and reread paragraphs or the entire book to actually get a sense of the world and of the story. So it kind of opened me up to exploring other novels where I couldn't necessarily just blast through it. Um, The way that he writes is fascinating because um, he'll throw in words that don't exist all the time. It's, It's set in like a cyberpunk world, right? So he'll just throw in like brand names for things and then a word that isn't real or he'll, um, describe a room um, in a way that's uh, not necessarily super comprehensive and you kind of have to put everything together. But once you read it once or more, um, you go back into it. And uh, because it's so um, open to interpretation, some of the stuff, you build up your own version of what you're seeing. Um, The other thing I like about it is uh, this was the first book to win the three major awards in science fiction. That's pretty impressive. Um, but he almost didn't release it. Really? He'd been working on all these cyberpunk um, novels. Like he also wrote Johnny Mnemonic, which they turned into that movie with Keanu Reeves that exists. Yeah, and, it exists. It's <laughs> yeah. there. And uh, he wrote two more after this in the same series, sort of. Um, but he was going to be releasing it the year that Blade Runner came out, which for a mainstream audience these two stories are so similar because they're both set in a cyberpunk world. They both have um, issues with androids and talk about like what is, uh, what what constitutes real life when you have things like artificial intelligences or androids. At what point does it become human? At what point do people stop being human? Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is like a lot of people I've known have gone through uh, like addiction and stuff like that. And this entire novel is just filled with people with addiction and using drugs in the future. And the main character too, he um, he was basically a, a hacker who goes into cyberspace in the Matrix, two terms, coined in this novel. Oh. Yes. That's he, impressive. He coined the Matrix. Wow. <laughs> um, and he does a run for an employer and betrays his employer and steals a bunch of stuff. So they basically uh, like knock him out, put him into a lab and screw up his brain so that he can't actually go into cyberspace anymore and do the one thing he's good at. Mm-hmm. So he moves to Chiba City in uh, Japan 
and waste all of the money I stole from his employers um, trying to reverse it through surgery or whatever and runs out of his money almost immediately with no results. So he ends up basically, uh, in, in the words of uh, one of the characters in the novel, trying to con the streets into committing suicide for him uh, <laughs> uh, by like selling drugs and doing sketchy deals. And then um, uh, out of nowhere, he ends up being followed by essentially an assassin who says, oh, we have a job for you. And the whole novel is him being basically employed by an AI to like reunite that AI with the other half of its consciousness that had been split up by the company that owns it. Hmm. It's really, really, really strange. Um, but it sounds like it's a journey that it has to like take you through. I just I have so yeah. many questions just listening to you talk about it. So I imagine going through the book and having things like unfurl in front of you would be super rewarding. Yeah, it is. And uh, going back to the addiction part there, they basically put um, th they screw with his pancreas so that he can't get high off of drugs anymore or oh. something. It's really, it's like really weird. Thing. They, they basically put like toxin sacks that are dissolving in him and he, mm -hmm. he can't get high anymore. So he has to focus on the job. Um, and they fix his brain so that he can go back into cyberspace. Um, but the, the different set pieces in it are just fantastic too. Yeah. Um, in it, they have essentially the entire Eastern seaboard of the United States formed together into a mega city, kind mm -hmm. of like Judge Dredd or something. And I don't know, it's just a really cool vision of the future. How, you said he was a hacker, but he goes into cyberspace it, to hack things? Yeah, it's kind of like a neural interface or whatever. Okay. Yeah. What would that look like? <laughs> I don't even. Well, they talk about having like electrodes on the side of their head and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Okay. I, I mean, this is a bad example, but there's like a Star Wars toy where you put the little um, electrodes on yeah. the side of your head, and by focusing, you can raise a ball with the force. But you're, it's really just reading for like beta waves or something. Yeah. But. That's cool. Yeah. It, well, it's, it's set in the future. Just yeah. Let, just let it happen. He also, it, it's funny though, because like he predicted a lot of things that actually happened, like people, you know, cell phones, whatever, like mm -hmm. that, because it was written in, I think, like the 80s or whatever. Um, yeah, it's an older novel. But the one thing that he didn't predict is um, how fast storage would improve. Storage? Oh, I guess for memory? So one of the major plot points is all he has left in terms of assets is I think it's like 128 megabytes of RAM or oh, something. Oh, that's so little. I know. <laughs> it's set in the future, and he's and he, uh, somebody steals this 128 megabytes of RAM that he was getting. And they're fence. like, oh, no. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It's like, I think my TI-82 calculator has that much yeah. now. So <laughs> no, that's crazy. Yeah. So it's just, it, it's uh, th that's one thing that I, I, I'm, I'm sure you, you feel the same about sci-fi, mm -hmm. is just seeing... Um, seeing not only their vision of the future but kind of how they view their present too yeah uh the author um and, and what they get right and what they get wrong is is always my favorite part too yeah that was one of my favorite things about going through um fahrenheit 451 mm -hmm. like they predicted billboards which i thought was hilarious um it talks about like big advertisements that are like huge and like the length of football fields because you're going by so fast in your cars that you need to be able to see them from far away but then, like, this giant animatronic dog monster is, like, so far off base. And I'm like, huh, okay. <laughs> have you seen those DARPA dogs that they have, though? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, those are... Those so are close. We're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting there. We're not so fast that the billboards need to be a football f stadium yet. But one day. Yeah, but we're working on the dogs. Yeah. Okay. 
Like the ones that like don't tip over, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's pretty oh, scary, creepy. and you see like researchers trying to kick them over, and they're just yeah, and then like jumping on stuff. That's the part that scares me. You're like the robot that does parkour now. Yeah, no, the future is scary. <laughs> <laughs> but it's exciting. I don't know. I, I love that vibe. Whenever I read stuff like this, I just I, I want to go to Tokyo. I want to go to Seoul mm-hmm. just because I I love that aesthetic. Like yeah, just really packed, huge glass buildings, neon everywhere. It's yeah, insanity. I love it. So obviously you've read this book more than once mm-hmm. as I stare at the battered copy in front of me. How yeah. many times do you think you've read it? A uh, minimum of two or three times a year since 2012. Okay. I'm not going to do basic math. It's okay. You it's don't not, have to. It's not who I am as a Great person. Great of our students. We don't have to. Yeah, that's true. Never again. Do you find yourself reading it at like any specific time or like after? I know I like go back to my favorite books if I'm in a slump. It's my go-to if I'm not reading anything mm-hmm. because um, I'm so familiar with the story, I can just rip through it really quickly. Mm-hmm. And I find for me, 90% of reading is inertia. So I just pick this up, read through it, and then I always pick something up different from it every time I read it. Um, but yeah, usually I'll I'll read it like in the summer to bring it down to the cabin or whatever or on the beach, which is hilarious because I haven't lost the pages yet. Yeah, that's impressive. I'm not bound. Um, I'm a little embarrassed that I don't have any books that are that beat up. I'm, I'm really proud of it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good book. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I usually just read it in between books because I, I tend to I, – I love series mm-hmm. and I love um, finding an author who's writing alike. So I, I did the same thing with William Gibson. I've read pretty much everything he's written. Haruki Murakami, almost mm-hmm. everything he's written. Stephen Lawhey – uh, Michael Crichton, a few other authors like that. Um, but then once I, f- I, I finish pretty much everything they've written or everything they've written, I hit that slump because you get used to the way somebody writes and just enjoying their method of storytelling. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's good to get something to kind of get you into uh, into reading again before you jump into something else to read. Um, so what's your favorite character in this novel? Uh, that's a tough one. Um, I I like the main character as a plot device, but he's not my favorite character. Whenever I read books, my favorite archetype is the mentor or like the mm-hmm. old wizard or whatever that comes into the story. And in this one, it's it, they do it in kind of a different way. Um, uh, there, there's one part where they're um, basically breaking into this bank to re- to retrieve a flatline, which is basically um, it's like a virtual backup of someone's personality that they make before they die. Oh, cool. Um, but it's read-only memory, so it can't can't learn. Mm-hmm. It can't actually feel things. It's just kind of like the person frozen in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and the flat line is uh, Case, the main character's former uh, teacher who like taught him how to do everything, uh, Polly McCoy. So, uh, and his nickname's Dixie, so they call it the Dixie Flatline. So, his character is is like this hilarious uh, Southern guy who's kind of like a father figure to Case and helps him out and everything. But then every once in a while, they hit a point where um, where Case will like ask him something and he can't respond mm-hmm. because he he's not real. But within the confines of, of this, this flat line, he still feels things and talks from the first person and everything. It gets really confusing. And at a certain point in the novel, um, he says, Case, after this job, I want you to erase me. Oh. Yeah, so it, it, it gets weird. It's like filling that archetype that I really like mm-hmm. and providing um, the much needed kind of emotional glimpse into a character who uh, 
is more erratic and driven by things like impulse than actually like real human emotions and interactions mm -hmm. seeing that side but it's towards you know something that's artificial it's kind of interesting to see that dynamic that would be cool yeah earlier you were talking about i'm so bad at names um the robot android oh okay molly yeah, Molly Millions, the cyborg um, street ninja or whatever, street samurai. Don't crucify me. That's fine. Anyways, um, yeah, so she's got like claws or whatever in her hands and her eyes are augmented and she, okay, it's weird. She's the muscle of this group who's going on essentially. It's like a heist throughout it where they're trying to steal something they don't know what yet for this employer who's really shifty. Mm -hmm. Um so she provides the muscle and everything, but she also serves as like this weird pseudo love interest with Case, the main character. And she's not like, she gets somewhat fleshed out as a character, but I don't really like how William Gibson handles female characters in, in this novel, especially. Um, some of his later ones, it gets a lot better, but it felt kind of flat. Like her backstory is she, um, she worked in this hotel where they essentially put um, a chip in your head so that um, you can rent out your body. Like mm -hmm. she's, she calls herself a working girl, mm -hmm. um, but she doesn't remember anything that she, that she does while she's working. So she thought it was just easy money. Yeah. And then the chip malfunctions and she remembers everything that happened and was done, for, done to her. So she snaps and uh, ends up, you know, killing all of her former clients and everything like I feel that. Like, yeah, that's a reasonable response. I'd be. Right. Yeah. Because the whole the whole reason why she did it was because they assured her that she wouldn't have to remember anything. Yeah. It was all safe, whatever. Um, so that, that's I mean, kind of... And lo and behold. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, but one, one, one important uh, aspect of her character in the, in the story is there is... Um, it becomes a plot point in the later books in the series. There are two more. Um, but there's this, like stim sim thing where basically you uh you can through like their cyberspace setup or whatever experience mm -hmm. um the sensation of being another person okay so you basically like can can see what's like so they were using that for things like reconnaissance mm -hmm. like people would be watching her feed while she's out uh like breaking into a building or something like that um and case the main character because he spent his entire time in cyberspace amongst his circle of like hackers and everything there is a huge amount of contempt for the body they go so far as to just call it meat yeah. basically just like Gross. the body's nothing it's just meat <laughs> yeah. um the mind's what's important mm -hmm. but through the chapters where he's kind of seeing things through her perspective he sees um how one how physically capable she is um not just because of her augments but um and he kind of gets to see how different it is for someone whose entire business comes from their body, whereas his came from his mind. Yeah. Um, and eventually it kind of sinks in as being important to him, but at first he finds it nauseating. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. It's, uh, it's kind of weird how he plays off of those things in this book. Um, but the, the story itself is stellar. I mean, you have space Rastafarians in, a, in, a, in, a, in like a space station. Which yeah, is, I don't know how I could beat that. It's, it's pretty good. And he's going around through, and like all of the, there are a couple different um, satellites around the earth that they go to. One's called Straylight, which is kind of this playground for the wealthy where kind of like the final encounters happen with the Tessier Ashpool company that owns the corporation that controls most <laughs> of the earth. 
Um, but there was a smaller, te basically test satellite or whatever that was made where all of the descendants of the engineers who worked on building Straylight live. And a lot of them are from like Jamaica or China or everything. So they speak this weird Creole of like different like Asian languages and everything. And uh, yeah, they're Rastafarians. So they break the no smoking on a spaceship rule and they're constantly smoking weed. Amazing. And they're Canadian. And, and the, the funniest part to me, yeah, they're Canadian, space Canadians. Um, the funniest part to me is that case, the main character who's <laughs> throughout the book, just basically whining about not being able to get high off of his favorite drugs is going through this place and he finds out that he can get high off of weed. He just doesn't like it. So he's upset the entire time oh, no. <laughs> because they're hotboxing a space station. Yeah. So there are some weird set pieces in there. Okay. Yeah. yeah it's a strange novel. It's... No, that sounds amazing. Yeah. I'm just like, how? I'm, like, I'm like just... where do you come up with that? Yeah. Right? Like you're just sitting there and then you're like, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna hot box a space station. Like, I wonder what that'd be like. Just yeah. do it. Oh, I love writer. <laughs> I'm just picturing William Gibson in his shitty Pontiac rolling a joint and yeah. like down an alley somewhere in Vancouver. And he's just like, like, you know where I wish I was? Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. So you told me a little bit. Or, like, I feel like a lot about the world like, in yeah. a cyberpunk novel, I think. Uh, it's mostly world building. Yeah. <laughs> it's mostly wor world building for, for cyberpunk. Yeah. Do you prefer world building over character building? Um, it depends what I'm in the mood for sometimes. Um, I used to almost exclusively prefer world building. Mm -hmm. Just because for me it was it was really exciting to see how how these things were, were built. Uh, but now I'm, I think I, I, I enjoy um, good characters a lot more. Mm -hmm. um, I, I also feel like if you have a, a cool world but the characters are uninteresting, it's not as good as as the opposite. Yeah. Like, you can have the most mundane, boring world, but if the characters are interesting, I'll still read it. The one thing I like about uh, Neuromaths, it's part of a series, and normally I will rip through a series. And this one, I didn't know it was part of a series for like three years. Is it the first book? Yes. Okay. Um, it stands alone perfectly. Um, I didn't even know it was part of a series. And then I read the other two, and you know what? I liked it less. Yeah. Which is weird when you can have a book that sounds so strongly, and it's because the the next two books don't take place with the same characters, just in the same universe, and then the next two have continuity between each other, and there are a couple of, like nods and stuff like that. But um, I don't know. I, I I it didn't feel like a series really, which. Yeah, it's it's weird when the first book is so good and it would make it such a good standalone. And I wonder if it's just they liked the world so much that they didn't want to leave it yet. Well, that's part of it. Um, there's this weird thing with all of uh, William Gibson's novels, mm -hmm. where they all kind of feel like they're in the same world. Oh. Um, his uh, the way that he imagines the future. He has a bunch that are set more like near future, or I guess in uh, in in some of their cases they're now set in the past. Oh, really? But they were set in the near future. Okay. In the past. Yeah. When they were written. Yes. Excellent yes. time. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they, all, they all kind of have like a consistent vision of the future, just obviously on, on like a different scale in terms of how far away from the present at the time of writing the book they are. <laughs> hmm. um, so what are like the carrying elements you see in all of his universes then? Uh, they're all strange in the fact that they're, if, if they were framed differently, they would be seen as dystopian, but because all everyone in the books is just chill with it, it doesn't 
read that way at all. Like they don't okay. seem dystopian. It's like, yeah, that's just the way things are. I mean, it's the same thing with, with our current world, right? Like yeah. there, are, there are a lot of elements of it that if you were to go back to the 70s, would seem pretty dystopian. Like yeah. we all carry around communicators with, um, you know, always recording our, our sound, always re- recording through the camera. Yeah. Um, people buy things to put into their homes, like Alexa and Google Home, that are always listening and recording. And that's 1984. Yeah. That is the plot of the actual book. So um, if you frame it as a dystopia, it seems like one. But in this, people accept the world that they're in. And um, they're all like it's it, he's, he's very good at predicting where trends will go in terms of technology. And uh, some of his other novels like, oh, shoot, what is it? Um, blanking on the name right now. But the, the protagonist is a. Uh, a woman who gets um, a job offer for a magazine that she finds out doesn't exist and is actually a front for um, like a multinational essentially like advertising marketing company okay and she is she's a cool hunter so she goes around and just finds things before their trends and so she thinks she's writing for that sort of magazine mm-hmm. and it turns out there's just a guy with kind of kind of plans of like you know he, well Spoilers, he buys Greenland eventually. Oh. Um, <laughs> oh okay. But um, uh, the entire story follows her. Like, is it called Pattern Recognition? Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah, Pattern Recognition. Um, that's another series. But once again, like all of his books, like Virtual Light, Adoru, all, all Tomorrow's Parties, mm-hmm. they all have kind of like a – like they're in different geographical places and times. But um, – the way that he projects forwards is consistent enough that it feels almost like an like an anthology series or something. Okay. Yeah, it's that's really cool. <laughs> oh, sci-fi writers are just something else. They really are. They are a special breed. I'm like I would just love to pick authors' brains. Like, so why is that what you chose? Was there anything about the way that Gibson tells the stories, like his writing style? You said it's hard for you to switch from one author to another because you read like binge read mm-hmm. um yeah so okay let's look, the the opening line of this novel uh the sky above the port was the color of television tuned to a dead channel um it's not like amusing case heard someone say as he shuddered his shouldered his way through the crowd around the door of the chat it's like my body's developed this massive drug deficiency it was a sprawl voice and a sprawl joke. The Chitsubo was a bar for professional expatriates. You could drink there for a week and never hear two words in Japanese. So in the first two paragraphs, there's a lot to unpack there. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time I read it, uh, sprawl. Okay, what's the sprawl? And you immediately think of like urban sprawl or something, mm-hmm. right? So you, you just have those loose as- associations. The Chatsubo, okay, so what the Chatsubo was a bar. Okay, so you kind of get the feeling it's in, in, in Japan or something. And then it says it's you know two words in japanese you get it um it's kind of like this weird roundabout way of of world building and setting the scene and telling things about the the characters all at once yeah um and that's why i find i enjoy all pretty much all of his novels more the second time through um because it's not like um actually have you read uh in the skin of a line by um michael andachi maybe uh, I, f- I found the same thing with that novel. I read it after this one, um, where it's 
like Andachi does it to a greater extent. Like it's even more impressionistic almost where you just get like, it's, it's almost like he won't tell you what the room looks like, but he'll describe how it smells. Yeah. And then in the next sentence, he won't tell you what a person looks like, but how their voice sounds. And it's kind of like this weird ring around the senses where you're, you're getting some input, but not all of it. And you have to construct the rest yourself. So it does get better each time you read through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, I, I, fi- I found that Gibson's writing was a good middle ground between that, yeah. um, where there's enough to go off of, uh, but there is still quite a lot to, to unpack and to develop as you reread it. Um, whereas with Antachi, I found myself, I, when I first read it in the skin of the line, I think the first 80 pages, I didn't know who the characters were or what they looked like oh, or no. what was happening or yeah. where I was or who I was. Where am I? And then once again, I reread it again. I'm like, oh, this is a really cool story about, you know, um, building Toronto and, you know, um, political dissidents and mm-hmm. there's an explosion at a play and they or, or no there's he meets up with anarchists at a play right and then they blow up like a, a reservoir or a water treatment tank or something i don't know it took me a couple tries this one same thing but uh i really enjoy it um the other thing about his writing is um it's it's so fast mm-hmm. um when he gets into an action sequence, it's just, it's lightning fast. Um, where is it? There's a scene where he's early on running away from someone who's been tailing him all day. And being a junkie, he's got one, one eye over his shoulder the entire time and trying to lose whoever's tailing him. The way that it's written, you really have to read it once or twice to get the context like even when you're reading it from start to finish this next paragraph doesn't necessarily make sense the first time through um his tail was back he was sure of it he felt the stab of elation the octagons and adrenaline mingling with something else you're enjoying this he thought you're crazy because in some weird and very approximate way it was like a run in the matrix get just wasted enough find yourself in some desperate but strangely arbitrary kind of trouble it was possible to see ninsei as a field of data the way the Matrix had once reminded him of proteins linking to distinguished cell specialties. Then you could throw yourself into a high-speed drift and skid, totally engaged but set apart from it all, and all around you the dance of biz, information interacting, data made flesh in the mazes of the black market. Um, And that's something that could have also been described as Case pushed his way through the crowds past stalls of whatever the hell, or through people, but... um, Instead of instead of doing that while well, he's he's on this chase, it's kind of diving into how how weird and fragmented his mind is, and how he's um, he instead of seeing something virtual in terms of things in the real world, because of his experience, he now has to reframe the the real world in terms of uh, the virtual one that he's more used to. And it, it's just really cool and evocative. I don't know. Yeah. I, that's a nice writing style that it it frames it as the main character might. Mm-hmm. Um, just like through my quick quick look up of the book the other day, it said it was a third person writing or like storytelling. Um, so it's nice that even though it's a third person and you're getting the benefits of having a third person tell the story, you're still it's like 
the character is still in the same tone, it, if that makes sense. It's heavily slanted narration, yeah. for sure. It's it's not quite. I don't know. I, I kind of I, I kind of like the style. It's um. It it makes it more cinematic. Yeah. In a way, like that's that's one thing I will say about this novel. It's it's very cinematic. Okay. Um. So my last question mm-hmm. is, who would you recommend this book to? Um. Okay, I would recommend this to. Okay, anyone who. Anyone who uh, likes really uh, fast-paced stories, anyone who uh, is into sci-fi and world-building at all, um, and honestly, just with the with the content of it, anyone who likes, you know, like cyborgs, ninjas, anything <laughs> like that, just cool, dumb cyberpunk stuff. Yeah, that's who should read this book. Awesome. If you're a reader or a writer who's interested in coming to talk to me about your favorite book or your book, please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at it's lit underscore pod.